go out there to all the moms who have historically listened to Deja Vu. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that we're now testing out a new format and we're doing a video show. And you can find that on the Ithacan on YouTube. Uh, you can check out our website and our multimedia page and it should be floating on there somewhere. Uh, I also wanted to let you know that you can find our podcast on iTunes and Spotify because our producer has been a very busy boy and kills himself to put this podcast everywhere that it could possibly be. If you want, you can tune in again in the future and listen to us. I mean, who am I kidding? Probably hate on some movie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Keep it up. Let us know how we're doing. It's always nice to hear. Hello and welcome to Deja Vu, the Ithacan's weekly review podcast. I'm your host, Jake Leary, and I am slowly suffocating in a dog mask that I put on myself of my own volition. I'm here today with life and culture editor Kara Bowen and sports editor Danny Puchinski. I really hope I just pointed at them because I can't see anything. Uh, we're going to talk about Halloween today. And to start us off, Danny, who is like the Halloween expert, which is why I wanted to have her on here, besides her being a wonderful person, uh, is going to give us a little bit of context for this ridiculously long series. Okay, so the Halloween series as a whole is very complex. It starts in 1978 um, when six year old Michael Myers murders his sister. And then um, uh, he is then hunting uh, Laurie Strode, who is Jamie Lee Curtis, and throughout the whole movie, he kills all of her friends, but she survives. Halloween 2 picks up then when it's that night and she's in the hospital, and it's basically just a redo of Halloween, but set in the hospital. Uh, Halloween 3 is Season of the Witch, nothing to do with Michael Myers or the original franchise, and they knew that, which is why they panicked and created Halloween 4 to kind of keep fans engaged, which is where you find out that Jamie Lee Curtis has died off screen in a car accident, and she has a daughter named Jamie, and Michael Myers is hunting Jamie, and that's kind of what happens in the fourth and the fifth movies. Uh, Halloween 6 happens where uh, Tommy Doyle, who is the boy that Jamie Lee Curtis babysits in the first movie, is grown up. He is coincidentally Paul Rudd. Um, <laughs> and then uh, that happens, and then they panicked and realized that the series wasn't going the correct way, so they did Halloween H2O, which they bring back Jamie Lee Curtis as if she hadn't just been dead for the past, uh, at this point, five sequels, I believe. Um, 20 years later she beheads michael myers at the end of the movie and then halloween resurrection happens where you find out she didn't behead michael myers it's someone else she goes crazy and then um they remade halloween and halloween 2 in 2007 and 2009 but they were really bad and then they just came out with halloween in 2018. yes which is another way of saying everything that you just told us doesn't matter yes halloween 2018 is basically the first sequel ever made to the franchise and they forget that everything had just happened yeah <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this most recent Halloween movie ignores everything except the first, the, the original. And it picks up about 40-something years later after Michael Myers has been locked up um, in a mental hospital uh, on Halloween night, like 40-something years later. Uh, and when he breaks out, somehow, uh, while being transported to another hospital, Lori, her daughter Karen, and then her granddaughter Allison are uh, being hunted again. So the three Strode women uh, band together, along with Lori's weird <laughs> destruction <laughs> basement in her heavily fortified house to destroy Michael once and for all. Yes, and they do and don't, as is the case with every slasher movie ever, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, Kara, there's something you missed that I think is really what important. What did I miss, Well, this movie opens with two of the greatest oh. characters in the Halloween franchise. <laughs> these two oh. podcasting goons who were investigating the Halloween murders. Yeah, so these <laughs> fools, um, they have really thick British accents and they're, and they're driving around uh, trying to interview 
Michael and Lori and a bunch of other people before they rightfully get murdered. Um, and also try to deliver as much exposition as possible in as short a time as possible, which is still way too long for them to be in this movie. Oh, uh, they're horrific. Like, <laughs> they're just, they're, they're vehicles for the plot to just tell you honestly exactly what they need to know. And, the, but the way they do it isn't even realistic or like, it, the, they're just the most irritating possible caricatures of poorly trained journalists of all time. And it makes me lose my mind watching them. And kind of going off that, it's so funny when they show up to Laurie Schroed's house. First of all, they haven't called ahead, so they have no, like, she doesn't know. And then they yell into, like, the little, like, intercom thing. They're like, we're here for a podcast, which is the most random, like, awful yeah. thing that I've They're ever like, seen. They're like, how does $3,000 sound? <laughs> bribing her for an interview. <laughs> they walk into her living room. And they go, all right, your story needs to be told. We want to revisit these crimes. Tell us about your daughter and how you lost custody, custody of her. And they also uh, call her out for like, not like understanding what the boogeyman is. Like they were like, do you believe in the boogeyman? And she's like, yeah, I do. And they're like, well, it, like he doesn't exist. And basically calls her out on everything that she's experienced in her past 40 years, which was horrendous. Yeah. So besides from their um, irritating personalities, they're also a part of what I felt was one of the most ridiculous opening scenes of all time. Um, where they're standing in the, the outdoor courtyard of the mental hospital and Michael and all these uh, f uh, patients are chained up and one of their uh, journalists pulls out the uh, infamous uh, Michael Myers mask and then holds it up to Michael's back and just shakes it and goes, say something! Yeah, which starts the weird romantic comedy-esque trend in this where everybody is trying to get Michael Myers to talk to them. <laughs> and he won't do it because he's Michael Myers. I was actually wondering about this because I didn't look into this before. Does he ever speak? No. No? And okay. I think that's what makes him so like uh, scary in a way is because he there's it's just his presence. He doesn't add anything, like there's no dialogue or anything like that, which kind of helps in the way where his character is almost never ruined because mm -hmm. he, you can't, like, it's the directors, but him himself in his presence. Like, he can't ruin it for himself, basically. He can't, but that doesn't mean they haven't made yeah. some real questionable choices. And I, I have very limited Halloween knowledge, which is why you're here, Danny, to compensate <laughs> I don't know. Um, but some of the things that you were telling me about before the show just sound completely bonkers. And like, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and this movie tries to roll that back a little bit and do something that I think is, I guess, more true to the original. I don't necessarily know if that works entirely. Like, this entire movie is meant to be a flip of the original, at least from what I saw. So instead of Michael Myers hunting Laurie, it's a lot of Laurie hunting Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you get to the end where they, they kill him again, um, to some extent, in her trap house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love describing that house. It just sounds so charming. Yeah. Like, it sounds like a really evil gingerbread house. And that's Charming? an aesthetic I like. Jake, she yes. has an entire room dedicated to mannequins. Oh, I, okay. I'm so glad you wanted to talk about the mannequins. <laughs> it's so goofy. There are so many moments in this movie that are like, isn't this cool, guys? And your reaction should be, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. Let's just, let's just break down her, her doomsday dungeon <laughs> for a second. You walk into her kitchen. There's like five TV screens on the walls. You press a button. And the center uh, the little island, island shifts just it, with the with the sound of a garage door <laughs> uh, lifting up. It just Very shifts secret. and leads to a, a bunker with like dozens of guns and canned 
Canned food. Canned food. And oh. also weird trap spikes <laughs> that aren't deployed for a very long time. And incinerators. <laughs> Apparently so. Um, because this, again, this whole movie is Laurie going, all right, I've been waiting for him. We're going to lure him into this trap, and then we're going to kill him. Which leads to one of the other goofiest moments where her daughter uh, lures Michael Myers down by pretending to cry and like pretending to be vulnerable, and he goes for her. And then she goes, gotcha, I tricked you. And then you see Laurie's face in a closet <laughs> loom out of the darkness. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. <laughs> oh. And there's a lot in this movie I think works, but some of those real goofy things just undermine a lot of this. Another goofy thing that I'm I think crying. is really funny is when uh, Laurie Strode's granddaughter is running through the woods. It takes her a really long time to get to the house. I just need to point that out. But she lands in like the middle of the mannequins and then she screamed. And I just thought it was so funny like watching that happen because they're just mannequins. And I think they were trying to make it seem like like Michael Myers might be secretly one of the mannequins, but that wasn't how it happened. And it was just, it was a very odd scene. No. I think odd might be the best word for it. And overall, it is so goofy and comedic. Um, but they, it's not campy. No. So it feels, like some moments feel, do feel like needed comic relief and the others just seem out of place. Yeah. Well, and you can tell because any of the comedy moments are heavily telegraphed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's a character in this who only exists to be comedic relief. Uh, which is a kid that one of Allison's friends is babysitting, who talks like no child ever no. has. And I like him. Um, he, his reaction is basically, oh no, I'm in a horror movie, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. Like, this guy's tr trying to get me, let's go, let's run, don't stay, don't try to fight him, like, get out of here. And he's in the movie for a long, mm -hmm. long time. I think he added like a really like different sense of comic relief compared to the first movie because um, in the first movie it's Laurie's friend that's like she's kind of a hot mess and she's providing the comic relief but this kid just kind of out of nowhere um, did a really good job in my opinion. I thought he was very funny. Mm. I laughed basically the, every single time he talked which was nice. Yeah and, and I think there are three like major comedy moments in this movie and that's the one that works the best. Uh, the other is Judy Greer who's Laurie's daughter, um, her husband who's introduced in the movie by talking about um, the, the little bit of peanut butter he got on his penis. Uh, and they really go hard into that, and it's baffling. It was a very it's strange part of opening uh, sequence. I also like his, his quote where he's like, I can protect my family. I know jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I trust you yeah. to defend this family. He, he's meant to be a goon. Like, all the mm -hmm. men in this movie are intentionally the gooniest goons yeah. who have ever set foot. Into, uh, into a slasher movie, which I think is also intentional of them trying to like flip mm -hmm. the way this usually goes. Because you get three police off or two police officers later on who have a conversation about sandwiches, <laughs> the peak of comedy, and they also <laughs> in a very dumb way. Yeah. And then you have Allison's bo odd boyfriend. Oh, God, he was a lot. kisses another girl at a school dance. Uh, you know, the coolest place to be on Halloween night, of course. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be at a school dance? I wouldn't. It's okay. <laughs> um, and then throws Allison's phone in a bowl of pudding. But it w he made it seem like it was her fault. It was fine. Yeah, so that's weird. And, and then, and then his friend, like, brings Allison home and then really nice guy, like, tries to, tries to make the moves on her. And then he ends up getting, you know, murked by Michael Myers. That part was funny, though, when he got killed. <laughs> like, when okay. he was just talking, like, as if it was a neighbor. Yeah, like dressed oh. up in a costume, and then all of a sudden the lights go off, and then they come back on, and Michael Myers is right in front of him. Well, one of my favorite like slasher <laughs> is when characters go, "Wow, there's this really big, imposing man 
wearing a mask and carrying some sort of weapon. <laughs> he must just be somebody I know who's playing a goof on me. <laughs> and oh no, he's getting closer to me and walking very slowly and not responding to anything I say. This must be comedy. Oh no, I'm dead. And that happens in this movie and that's what that character winds <laughs> up being. Um, and I guess that's the only other funny... I, I don't find that funny. I actually disagree with you on this, Danny. I don't find that funny. The part, okay, not the part where he actually gets murdered, but the part where he's like in a drunken, like stupor, mm -hmm. just rambling, and Michael Myers hasn't started walking towards him yet, that key, like 15 seconds, I thought was absolutely hysterical. Then when he starts walking towards him, I'm just like, oof. This, this is not headed in the good direction. See, here's the thing. From, I saw the movie twice. And the first time, it was fun, because I didn't know what I was expecting, so I was like screaming when there were jump scares and whatnot. The second time, I knew when everything was happening, so the tension was near zero. <laughs> and so I was, and Danny Contesco, this guy saw it with her, I was screaming laughing the whole time. It was just so hilarious to watch. Because once the, the fear of like, oh no, who's going to get murdered is gone, it's just like. What, what was the funniest the second viewing? All the dialogue was really. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> not, That's a real condemnation. Literally, all the dialogue was not. <laughs> um, there's a scene uh, before Michael's first murder of, you know, the new, after he's escaped the first murder, is this, ki this kid and his dad in a car, and the kid's being like, Dad, I love going hunting with you, but like dancing is my thing now. Like, I can't spend all this time hunting in the forest with you. And the dad's like, but don't you like spending time in the woods with me? And it goes on for much longer than it should before they both get killed by Michael. And yet... This, the camera seems to find it worthwhile to spend time on them and really ridiculous dialogue. Well, I mean, that's something that I thought was the really, that was the really strangest thing. Oh boy, it's a mood today. Uh, that was the strangest thing about this movie. There's a whole movie before the movie actually starts um, with those two characters and the podcasters and Michael breaking out. And then it becomes about Lori and her family and trying to get revenge on Michael. But before that, it's just these random little vignettes that are tossed in the beginning. Uh, and that's common. Like a lot of slasher movies will start with a sort of cold open, like Scream, where somebody will get murdered mm -hmm. and then the actual movie starts. But this one has multiple of them and it goes on for half an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, which I, I think doesn't work structurally. And by the time, like, you don't care about the characters who actually matter by the time you get there. Like, Allison is meaningless. Mm -hmm. You know, Judy Greer gets one good moment, which is then ruined by Laurie Strode's moon face coming out of the closet. Um, it was just a bizarre choice I think um, structurally, uh, the fact that the podcast people, where they were like, uh, like, obviously the kid gets murdered in the beginning, but it's, it's kind of like a typical Michael Myers kind of strangling behind a, like, in the back seat of a car, because he did that in other movies. But when the podcast people got murdered, I thought that was like a very like well executed kill scene. Like it was just so like dramatic and very like they showed everything. And like when he like we all saw it in the trailers when he like put like put the teeth before the stall. Like I, I thought they did a really good job with that. And I was surprised at how much we get to know them in the beginning of the movie that they're basically the first main people to die, which I think worked. Jumping off what you said, the kill scenes in this are amazing to watch. I I can deal with it horrific plotting as long as they have like pretty gnarly blood and, blood and guts and that's what this movie does there's a scene where one of the uh cops uh michael he's he's on the ground about to die and michael just stomps on his head and it bursts like a pumpkin and it's oh it's nasty and it's great and the scene too where he walks into the <clears throat> woman's house and just stabs her in the neck it shows everything 
which I think in his other movies like hasn't been shown that way as being so violent. Um, but that scene really, I didn't think they were going to show it like that. They really just, the knife was in her neck. Yeah. On screen, it, it was, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we have the benefit of living in 2018 now. So we get a Halloween movie and any slasher movie that doesn't have to have restraint. Um, and that's, I think, a really good thing for this movie. Like, at least for me, watching Michael Myers get to go all out makes him even scarier to me. Um, and makes that violence feel really unpleasant. And we're going to talk about that right now when we dive into Michael Myers. All right. We're going to move on to something that Danny really wanted to talk about. And I don't know why I said it like it was an accusation of some kind. Um, anyway. Oh, boy. We're going to talk about what makes Michael Myers such a compelling villain. Because he has clearly stood the test of time in that they keep making movies about him. So somebody really responds to it. Um, and somebody really wants there to be multiple remakes and reboots. So I think what really works for me for Michael Myers is just his overall presence. And I think that really shows in the first movie. And that's when he does his best at it, which is why I think people are still clinging to the idea that there can be another movie like the first Halloween. He's very, very smart. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, they have him break out of the hospital and drive a car immediately, um, even though he's been locked up since the age of six. Um, which is like, it's kind of freaky in the sense that like, oh my God, he knows how to drive a car. Um, and the way he stalks people, like he is there and then they look again and he's not there. Um, and I think that just overall everything with like how smart he is, how good he is, is stalking, his mask is terrifying. I, I think it's scary. I, I don't like it. And the fact that he uses a knife, it's like those four like combinations of things I think work really well. And like I said, especially in the first movie, I think he does it at his best. And there are times in the new Halloween where I feel like he was at that point, but then there were other times where he wasn't. Um, there's a scene uh, it's where basically in the new Halloween, he kills uh, two people almost kind of randomly. Like he walks into this woman's garage, gets a hammer, goes in, kills her, walks back out, gets a knife, well, gets a knife in her house, walks back out, goes to another woman's house, stabs her in the neck. And that was very kind of random for me almost as a fan of the franchise for so long that most of the movie is him uh, plotting to kill Laurie and he's very smart and he like goes after the babysitters in very smart like smart ways where he hides in the closet and things like that um which I think is when he's at his best is when he's hiding when he's stalking when you don't you think he's there but you don't know if he's there um and I think that the new Halloween captured that to an extent but at other times it was also kind of weak in their portrayal of that um I don't know do you think you agree with me on that or anything like that yeah his killings in this one were uh, pretty kind of random and and not grounded in anything. Like, he turns a person's head into a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. Um, which is getting into, like, a Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street or more ridiculous franchise kind of thing. Because, like, the thing that works for me about Michael Myers is how mundane he is. Mm -hmm. He is a dude in your neighborhood, um, or a, a child in your neighborhood that's grown up. His outfit is, like, a, you know, garage worker's single suit. I'm losing all of the words and technical <laughs> definitions for what those are. Uh, his mask is William Shatner, like <laughs> bleached. He uses a kitchen knife. Like everything about that is something you could go out and find. You know, you could easily get that. This could easily happen. He's attacking people who are real and exist and live in like a suburban neighborhood and aren't situated in a summer camp uh, or in your dreams. Like he's there, <laughs> you know, and it's that it's that boogeyman quality while still being a real person that I think is really interesting. Yeah, and I think the whole, you know, making someone's head into a jack-o'-lantern is very not 
Now, I don't know a whole lot about the Halloween franchise, but it doesn't seem very in character, I guess, because it's he not. just stabs people, which is gross, but it's just stabbing. It's not this weird, like, nonsense that this movie brings in. Yeah, and kind of going off what you said, um, with, like, it can be, like, any, like almost anyone in your neighborhood, in the first movies, um, the one girl that he kills, he uh, strangles her with, like, a cord in her car, which is almost kind of like anyone, like, anyone can get into your car, really, and it can be anything kind of like that. Um, and I think that, like, those kills are the most dramatic and the most, like, this is Michael Myers. He he doesn't speak. You don't know anything about him. He just is randomly in the backseat of your car strangling you or he's randomly in your house um, stabbing you or kind of anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I think overall what really defines his character is just his tenacity and the fact that he doesn't stop. And I think the whole, what makes a lot of horror villains or, like, evil entities scary is that you can't kill them, you can't stop them. That's why like It Follows, which I think is a great movie, is so scary because it doesn't stop. And th that's, uh, he, like, he won't stop following his intended victim and even if you think he's killed him, he's not killed. And I think that more than any, more than his methods, more than his appearance is what makes him so intimidating. And it's crazy too, I mean, I sit here and I talk about all the other movies, but really we're supposed to pretend that this new Halloween is the first. And it kind of goes off that of like, he won't stop, like he has been, locked away for 40 years and he has been like plotting everything and no one like everyone knows that he's a danger but Laurie Schrode is the only one who thinks that he's gonna get back out which makes her seem like a crazy person even though really she's logically thinking that he can come back out um so to think that like someone has been locked away for 40 years and still only like imagines killing people is very frightening in the sense that like will he ever stop killing people like will there ever be something that gets him to stop and the answer is no like Michael Myers is always gonna want to kill anyone that he can find really and there's a real good mystery there too because you know you know what his main goal is you know he wants to kill Laurie but you don't ever know what he's thinking mm -hmm. you know you don't see his face you don't hear him speak uh, but you know what he wants and you know what he's willing to do to get it and that's a really interesting setup to have mm -hmm. um, as much as I love some other slasher movies and we'll talk about that a little bit later too I know, Kara rubs her hands, I'm ready for this. This is my, my dream come true uh, that I made for myself, so I can't <laughs> even talk about it like it's something that's arbitrarily happened. Um, the thing that a lot of other slasher like icons have is a voice. You know, Freddy Krueger is popular because he's thrown out clips like he's a Marvel superhero. Mm. You know, Jason, you see his face and you understand like who he is and what he is when he stops becoming human, as bonkers as that is. Um, but with Michael Myers, you'd never know. And in the first movie, you see him kill his sister at the age of six. And that's all you know, is that he's a six-year-old who stabbed his sister, it seems without any explanation as to why. And that's the thing, you never really understand, like, why. There's no context, there's no, like, this is why he's crazy. You just know that um, he's pure evil, which is how he's described in basically all the movies. And you, you never know why he's doing what he's doing. Is that something that changes in later movies? Do they start delving into his backstory anymore? I don't, okay, so, <laughs> it's funny that you say that. So basically in Halloween 6, which is the curse of Michael Myers, they try <laughs> to uh, basically say that he um, kind of has been cursed in a way and that he will not stop killing until he kills his entire family. And they try to make that seem like a logical thing. I don't really know if that answers your question. That's what the movie wanted you to think. But again, that's that never happens according to this remake. Um, so I don't. Does that answer your question? That does of? answer my question. Um, <laughs> and Danny, I know I asked you this question, but I'm very disappointed in that answer. <laughs>
because uh, that really goes com like that completely undermines I think what made him good, and that's yeah. I mean that's common. Mm -hmm. You know, the more these franchises go on, the more they lose out on I think what made them special to begin with, and because there is something special there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something at the heart of all of these slasher movies, and that's something that I've been dying to talk about for my entire life. And now we're going to. Isn't that great? All right, we're going to wrap this up by talking about why we like slasher movies, if we do, uh, and which ones are our favorite, because this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and near and dear to yours too, Kara, because you were rubbing your hands together real sinister earlier in the mm -hmm. show. So which one are you most attached to? Of all Ooh. the ones out there. Out of all of them? I I know it's not the most obscure, so I'm gonna sound like a poser, but Scream is really like near and dear to my heart. It's the first one of the first slasher films I ever 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 watched. And it has like the cheesy, trope ridden, you know, tradition of slasher films and lots of blood and guts, but also has a humor and self-awareness that others, previous ones, didn't have as much. So it uses a lot of the tradition of slasher movies and like makes them like commentary about itself in the film, which I, I deeply appreciate in horror in general because it is so self-referential. That, that's an interesting one to start with because Scream is like the self-referential horror mm -hmm. commentary. Yeah. Um, is I that should say first uh, like slasher one I watched. As opposed to just horror in general? Yeah, I, okay. I start off with a lot of like 60s, like Night of Living Dead, zombie stuff. Kara, I love talking to horror with you, <laughs> about horror with you. Talking to horror. <laughs> <laughs> I would do that too, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a really good choice, Kara, because it segues perfectly into the one that I want to talk most about, which is Nightmare on Elm Street. So thank you for helping me make this show easier. Uh, that's also directed by Wes Craven, mm -hmm. who I recently found out, slight tangent, directed the 1982 Swamp Thing movie. And if you don't know what that is, type in Swamp Thing 1982 into Google and pull up an image because it's horrifying. Um, <laughs> but Nightmare on Elm Street is like the, is considered the house, like the thing that built up one of the major slasher studios. Uh, it is one of the series that has gone so far off the rails in the best possible <laughs> way. Like, if you love bad movies, watch the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies because they lose track of everything that makes them good and somehow become great because of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the first one is also really spooky and really cool. You know, I love monsters. And that's such a good take on, like, human-monster hybrid. Uh, and it's really creative and utilizes dream logic in a really interesting way that I think elevates that to me above a lot of the other... Spooky Man with Knife Come Get You <laughs> movies, uh, which I don't respond to as much. Mm -hmm. um, like Friday the 13th, which I know Danny passionately hates. I don't, okay, I don't hate Friday the 13th, but compared, like if you compare it to other um, series, I think it's one of the worst ones. Um, I haven't seen as many Friday the 13th movies, but I like, I like the first one in the sense that like, he's not really in it, like Jason isn't really in it, and then as it continues, I think it gets more kind of crazy. Um, kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street does, where it just kind of goes off the rails. The first Nightmare on Elm Street is excellent, and I think it's really, really good. Um, in the sense that, like, you can't, like, go to sleep and hide away from your fears, which I think is really, really, like, special about it. Yeah. Just to jump back for one second. Nightmare on Elm Street 1, 3, 7, <laughs> great movies. Freddy vs. Jason, really good movie. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 4, quintessential bad movie. <laughs> Everybody should watch it. Freddy is revived by a dog peeing fire onto his garbage corpse. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Um, so good. 
Um, and yes, I agree with you. Friday the 13th, no bueno. Um, I think those movies actually do get worse as they go on. I think Jason is a really uninteresting villain and is also like, really problematic if you think about what he is, mm -hmm. which is <laughs> why these movies are bad for society. Um, and not like in the 1950s, they're going to rot your brain kids way, mm -hmm. but in the, oh no, these treat every group of people except for white men poorly. Um, <coughs> and there's a really great episode of the Bechdel cast about that, that talks about Scream and then one about Halloween, if you want to delve more into those issues, because that's not something, unfortunately, we have time for. Um, <laughs> but this is also something that I'm so passionate about, yeah. I love so much, and I want to talk about every part of it, and I'm so mad that we can't, and that this yeah. is only a half an hour show. So, it yeah, what character characterizes Slasher is you have a group of horny teens, <laughs> and then one by one they all get brutally uh, sliced and diced by usually supernatural dudes. Yeah, it, it's, a fran it's a series or a genre that's about watching the people you hate get murdered, mm -hmm. which is what Halloween is, which is what Halloween it's 2018 cathartic. is. It is. To, to some people, I disagree with you there, <laughs> but I have to wrap this show up. Thank you both for coming on. Thank you both for talking about this movie with me today. Is there anything you want to plug on your way out? Uh, read Jake Leary's review of uh, Halloween. My kind of guest. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, yeah, and look at all of the reviews and features in Life and Culture section. Follow me on Twitter at K-A-Y-M-A-C-K-P. I'm hilarious. <laughs> and you can uh, watch the show on YouTube. You can listen to the show on iTunes and Spotify and other places. Please read The Ithacan. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Jake Leary. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>